Well, one of my favorite kinds of conversations is the kind of conversation that's all about the spiritual breakthrough. When somebody says, hey, uh, do you remember we had that conversation and I shared with you, you know, I was struggling with this X, Y, or Z and um, looking for some kind of breakthrough. Um, Well, let me tell you what God has done in the last season. And then the person proceeds to tell me how God has, has, has broken through. Um, dealt with a, a difficult issue, addressed a, a, a painful thing. In Arisa's uh, story, we heard about the way that she was approaching schoolwork and all of that and, and how God broke through to help her to see on a different level what his care for her is and how that changed. Um, we have conversations about people um, who suffer from abuse and deal with this deep sense of shame year in and year out. And, and then finally, God will break through and, 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 and redeem it. And people who are in the midst of suffering and crisis, and it seems like there's nothing good, and yet they'll open their Bible and, and read a scripture, and all of a sudden they'll, they'll be filled with a sense of hope that, that comes from God that, that doesn't even sometimes make rational sense, um, but, but, but nonetheless overwhelms the despair they've been laboring under. This is when God breaks through. And I absolutely love these kinds of conversations. I love it when people come up and say, or when they send me that email and say, hey, just wanted to let you know this is what God's doing. I mean, I, I weep over those with tears of joy. It makes my day. You know, I'm, I, I just, it's, it's why we do what we do in many respects. To see people who are, trapped or enslaved or imprisoned or burdened or overwhelmed experience the power of God's work through Jesus Christ to transform all of that. It's why we do what we do, why we've been doing it for these 12 years and we'll continue on to do it for as many years as God gives us. But before any of those breakthroughs can happen, something very important needs to take place. And the scripture that we're going to read this morning talks about that very important thing that needs to take place before any of these wonderful, beautiful kind of breakthroughs can happen. So would you open with me to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 3, verse 22. If you need a Bible, raise your hand and we will pass one to you. Don't be shy about that. We would love for you to be able to read the the scriptures yourself. And this is a Bible you can take home with you, put on your nightstand. It's on page 578 in that particular Bible. Mark chapter 3, verse 22. We're continuing on in our poured in series. And we're looking at the things from the Gospel of Mark that help us to understand how it is that we can come alongside another person and pour into them for their blessing and for their good. Now... Contextually here, we've just talked about what uh, the, the calling of the disciples, and then um, there's been some response to that. Some people love what Jesus is doing. They're crowding around the house. And then we read this in verse 22 uh, about the scribes who come down from Jerusalem. It says, and the scribes who came down from Jerusalem, you always come down from Jerusalem because Jerusalem is the center of Israel. And so you always go up to Jerusalem. It's also high, but it, it's, it's, it's literal and metaphorical. You come down. That's where the seat of everything is. So they come down from Jerusalem and we're saying of Jesus, he is possessed by Beelzebul and by the prince of demons, he casts out the demons. 
And he, Jesus, called them to him and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand. But he is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man. And whatever blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they had said, he has an unclean spirit. So this morning, we're going to add to our collection of insight and understanding of how it is we come alongside people to pour into them. And one of the things that we really need to understand is before we come alongside somebody, Jesus Christ has already come alongside to do some very important work that needed to be done. And that work is this. It starts with this notion that Jesus has broken the power of evil. He's broken the power of evil. Now, let's understand this a little bit together. It says that the scribes come down, and uh, literally they came down from Jerusalem. But also, there's kind of a metaphorical piece to this. It's as if they're coming down from on high. They are the most learned of the religious group in Israel, and so they know what's what. They know what's right, and so they're coming down from Jerusalem to Capernaum, to this sort of small little place on the Sea of Galilee where probably nothing much ever happens in a spiritual religious sense. They're coming down to evaluate what is going on, what they've heard about this person, Jesus. And their evaluation is um, that he is Uh, is is, uh, doing what he does, casting out evil by evil. And they don't say this to Jesus directly. They're they're a bit passive-aggressive. It says in the text, they were saying. And so we've seen this before. It's like they're going around, they're telling everybody, well, he's only doing this because he has evil himself. And, And so Jesus calls them to himself to say to them, basically, this charge you've leveled against me is absolutely ridiculous. And he gives three parables to explain why this charge is so ridiculous. The parable about the kingdom, the parable about the house, and the parable about the strong man. He says, if a kingdom's divided, it can't stand. So how could a king be against himself? How could a king be casting out his own? That's what they're saying. How could in a house, uh, how could a house be divided against itself? If, if I'm doing this by the power of Satan, if I'm overcoming Satan by the power of Satan, uh, how can that work? Then the house is divided and Satan is losing his his power. He's coming to an end, which is an allusion to the fact that he is actually coming to an end, but not in the way the scribes think. And then he gives us this short little parable about the strong man. That how could you enter the house of a strong man and plunder the goods without first tying up the strong man? You got to take care of the strong man. Then you can go in and, and plunder the goods. And it reminds us of a text we studied earlier in Mark, in chapter 1, starting in verse 21. In verse 21, it, Jesus is referred to there uh, by 
the demon-possessed man in the temple as the Holy One of God. And we made a connection between that phrase, because it's only used there, the Holy One of God, all the way back into the Old Testament to Samson. Samson, who was a Nazarite, Jesus was from Nazareth, was referred to as the Holy One of God. And if you remember the story of Samson, he's taken by the Philistines, he's brought in to uh, the ruler's house, and they chain him up, and then they bring him out for entertainment. And he's been blinded already, and he's, he's standing there in the house, and there's thousands of the Philistines, and um, Samson puts his hands on the two main pillars on the wall. Remember, Samson's all about strength and power, and he pushes against those pillars, and they break, and the whole house comes down. And there's this sort of uh, p- possible illusion in the language here that Jesus is like a new Samson. He's going to bring down the house of evil. Scribes want to say, well, he's doing it because he himself is evil. What they're missing, though, is that this was God's plan from the very beginning. If we go back to the book of Genesis, when the curse was given, we read the curse was given to the the serpent, who is Satan uh, in that moment, Says, I will put, God says to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman, Eve, and between your offspring. That's everybody who comes after Eve, okay? Um, and her offspring. And he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So the notion is that while the serpent will continue to nip at the heel of the offspring of Eve, that's humankind that at one point, humankind will crush the head of the serpent. So this was God's plan from the beginning. We didn't know exactly how that was going to unfold, but now we get to see it. We get to see that the the offspring that is being referred to is Jesus Christ, ultimately, as our representative. And Jesus Christ is the one who will crush the head of evil. And that is, in fact, what is going on as Jesus is doing ministry, he is overwhelming all of the evil that he encounters, and the scribes come and they don't understand it, and so they give this wrong explanation. They say that he's doing it by evil. Jesus says, that's ridiculous. This was God's plan essentially from the beginning. I am essentially crushing the head of the serpent before your very eyes. Now, the New Testament describes the effect that Satan has when he takes control or uh, uh, influence in our lives and why this crushing of the serpent needs to happen before we can be pouring into people. 2 Corinthians 4, 3 through 4, and we'll put it up there. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world, okay, that's Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So there's a blindness that comes from the influence of evil in our world, and that has to be taken care of before we can uh, be poured into in the way we would hope. Or Galatians 4.8 also gives us a little window into this. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. And so the principalities and powers, the, the forces of evil in this world, enslave people. And so in order for us to really pour into others, that enslavement has to be broken. God has to do something, and He has done it in the person of Jesus Christ, the crushing of the head. 
Uh, and, and so it's very similar to the Samson story, just to, to, to give the gospel, that, that you know, Satan relies on our sinfulness to keep us enslaved. As long as he can keep telling us how rotten and awful we are, we will be enslaved and under his thumb and under his power. It's part of the way he keeps us in his house, in a sense. And the only threat to that is Jesus himself. And then there was this moment in time when it was like, oh no, Satan's got Jesus too. He's on the cross. Does this posture remind you of anything though? Story in the Old Testament about a strong man who's going to push the pillars out. Jesus hanging on that cross, Satan thought he had the victory, but actually Jesus was stealing the victory from Satan because through, through God he would be raised from the dead to demonstrate that he'd overcome sin. That thing that Satan uses to keep us in his house and under his thumb, Jesus overcame it by making himself an atoning sacrifice on the cross. And when that work was done, now death could be overcome because death is just the wage of sin. And so when, when sin was overcome, now death could be overcome. And that was exemplified in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Satan thought he'd won, but he hadn't. He lost the whole thing right there. Yeah, let's praise God for that. That's good. So that the power of evil is broken by the person of Jesus Christ. And we, we can come alongside others. First of all, we can be freed. And we can come alongside others and free them, help to free them. This is a really important underlying aspect of what it means to pour into others. And I, I try to think of a better image than this, but I keep thinking of Jesus sort of like the fullback in football. So as you don't watch football, let me explain. Um, you know, there's a guy in the back that the quarterback sometimes hands the ball to and he runs forward and he has to break through that wall of very large men who are standing there and he's got to break through into the end zone to score a touchdown, right? Well, there's this, this role called the fullback and this is also a very, very large man and he is to run in front of the one with the ball and he's to break through that wall of other large men so that the one with the ball can actually go through to the end zone. So Jesus, I keep picturing that when I think of Jesus in this particular role. He's like the fullback that breaks through and opens up the possibility for our release from captivity. Okay? So, so this is the important thing we have to know. If we're going to try to pour into people, we need to know that Jesus has gone ahead of us and broken through. He's overcome. He's broken the chains of, of evil in this world, the power of evil. He snapped it so that we can pursue healing with confidence. It's very important See, because if you don't understand this, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna doubt the possibility, first of all, of healing for yourself, and secondly, of healing for the people that you're being called to pour into. But if you know that Jesus has gone before you and broken through, then you can more confidently approach the task at hand. So, so you initially, if you're exploring the things of the faith right now, or you haven't really truly placed your faith in Jesus Christ, maybe you've been, been part of church for a long time, um, but nothing's really going on in your life. It's, it's kind of staggering. You're kind of doing this thing just because 
your parents make you or you've always done it, it's, it's, it's become a habit, but the gospel hasn't really settled into your life, you can know that because Jesus has broken through, it's possible for you to experience healing. It's possible for you to break through. So that's really important. But it's not just for the, the, the initial explorer. It's also for the person who's been walking with God for a long time. There is an ongoing healing process taking place in your life. And that's true for every one of us who've come to faith in Jesus Christ, whether it was 30 years ago, 40 years ago, 10 years ago, whatever it was, there is an ongoing process. And we can approach it with confidence. I've been speaking with the same accountability partner for 16 years. Every Monday morning, we talk on the phone for an hour. We used to live in the same city. We don't now, so we do it over the phone. And we were wondering if we were getting a little stagnant in our pursuit of growth. And so Dennis Tuma had recommended this great book to me with a wonderful title um, uh, by uh, John Owen. It's called uh, Of the Mortification of Sin in the Believers. Um, Doesn't that sound exciting to you? And... um, And so we decided that we would start reading that book together and just see what John Owen had to say about what the Bible says uh, about the mortification of sin, the killing of sin. And so we've been starting to read that together. So pray for me because I'm going on a difficult journey uh, in my with this. But the point is, is, is the pursuit of growth is ongoing. And we know it's possible more healing and all of that because of what God has done. And you can help others to pursue this healing because of what Jesus has done. Um, You are God's strategy. This is a very important teaching of the scriptures. That you are God's strategy for people coming to know Christ, for people experiencing healing. They experience it when you kind of get out of your comfort zone and begin to pour into their lives. To to be a part of their lives. And, And it's not just like you're delivering a message. It's not like you're the UPS guy saying, here's a package it's, it's kind of interesting. You actually become the package itself that you're delivering. It's the gospel in you and the testimony of what God is doing in your life that you bring to the next person and it begins to shape their thinking about God. So it's not that you're just sort of saying, here, take this gospel message. The gospel is in you doing its work. That's why it's so important to keep growing, keep pursuing healing and growth in Christ so that out of that then you can pour in to others. So if you're stalled this morning, if you're stagnant this morning, I want to give you the opportunity to maybe shake that this morning. We're going to have a time of prayer and afterwards, and I would encourage you to, to come up and, and just maybe ask somebody to pray for you. We're going to have people up front pray for you uh, that you would get off the dime, that you would get out of a place of stalled or, or stagnation in your faith. And, and God would break through and you'd be able to continue to, to grow, uh, maybe address some particular uh, area of life that's, that's broken and hurting. And of course, we, we look to the scriptures um, together in our own time and we look to the community to help us break through. But we got to keep growing. We have to keep growing and out of our growing, we pour into others. And then lastly in this text, I just want to say, Jesus broke the power of evil to free you and to free others Only come to him with humility. This is the warning from this scripture. Only come to him with humility. The scribes are kind of the foil for this. They come down from Jerusalem, right? Filled. This example that we see over and over again is the scribes, 
Sometimes the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they're filled with pride and self-knowledge and, and sort of, I already have it figured out. And who are you, Jesus? They, they're filled with this kind of arrogance. And though they are probably among the most intelligent people in Israel, they get it completely backwards. They completely miss what's going on. In other words, it's possible to be deeply schooled in the spiritual things, but because of pride, to get it backwards. This is a really important lesson for all of us to consider and to ponder, to sit in, meditate on. It's possible to be deeply schooled in religious things, in spiritual things, and because of pride, to arrive at the absolute wrong conclusion. The opposite of what is actually true. That's what the scribes do. And sometimes it's the long-practiced among us that are most vulnerable. Those who've been walking and maybe become comfortable in our faith and we lose sight of that call to continue to grow. We, we compare ourselves to others and say, well, I'm not that, just like the, the, the priests and the publican. We, well, I'm not that. So, and we, we, don't, we don't realize that there's this endless potential for growth that is the call on our lives. There's still more to be figured out. There's still more to be understood. And pride settles in and we stop growing. And I want to remind, if that's you today, that God's not done with you. Okay? There's more of His goodness and riches and grace and abundance to be understood and, and had. And He's not done with you. So don't get stuck thinking that you've got it figured out. Now, the logical extent of this is a severe warning in, in Matthew, in, excuse me, in, in verse 28 of Mark 3. It says, Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they had said he has an unclean spirit. They basically called the Holy Spirit unclean spirit. And so on the one hand, we read that and you might feel a great sense of anxiety. Oh no, have I committed the eternal sin? Have there, was there ever a time when I, when I misread the Holy Spirit, right? And, and we, I want to put your mind at, at peace um, on this a little bit. I mean, Jesus is, is sort of obscured and so he gives, he gives understanding that, look, people are figuring out who I am. But he says, when the Holy Spirit reveals who I am, you know, watch carefully how you respond to that is what he's essentially saying. And the logical conclusion of being arrogant uh, about um, the movement of the Spirit and, and arrogantly dismissing it, the logical conclusion is this eternal sin. And the eternal sin is essentially, you know, when somebody is ongoing rejecting the Holy Spirit for their whole life, okay? Then, of course, the result of that is you're, you've rejected God for your whole life and now God will say, fine, I'll give you what you want. You don't want to be with me, fine. For all eternity, that will be the situation. There's never a place in Scripture, though, where somebody was afraid of having done that and would come to God and ask forgiveness and not be forgiven. So if you're worried, you're probably fine because, you, right? It, because you're saying, Lord, I don't want to do that. And, and he's saying, great, great, I forgive you, you're fine, we're good, right? So don't worry about it. But do take the lesson, and that is it shows the destructive potential of pride. Pride has a blinding force in our lives. It's, and, and this is the thing that we're reminded of. Intelligence is no guarantee against it. 
let me say that in the Bay Area, in Berkeley, you know, area. Intelligence is no guarantee against it. In fact, I think that the greater the intellect, sometimes the more vulnerable we are to it because we go through life. Not that I've ever experienced this. I've heard about it. We go through life, you know, people patting us on the back and saying, oh, you did so well. You're so smart. You're this. And, and what happens? In that, an intellectual pride grows. And, it, and it, it causes a kind of a blindness. And we have to be so careful of that. And we're being reminded of that in this scripture. That if we're going to come to Jesus, remember the importance of humility. So let's take stock Because we're going to have a time of prayer in just a minute here. Let's take stock. I've asked this question of us many times because somebody asked it of me and I thought it was a great question. And that is, you know, can you list some ways in which you desperately need God right now? That's That's a good force against pride. If you can list some ways in which you desperately need God, then that helps you to to fight against the encroaching pride and arrogance and self-sufficiency that is always a threat to us. You know, if you, but on the other hand, if you feel like, well, I've got it figured out, you know, I'm good, I got this. If you're not having those panic moments of, Lord, this is too big for me, the stakes are too high in my life, and the people are too valuable, and I need you, if you're not having those moments, then you're in danger of spiritual pride. But if you're, if you're, ha- if you're broken... And you're, you, you, can, you readily can list multiple ways in which you desperately need God, then that's a healthy sign. And it's that kind of humility that characterized the people who came to Jesus and received him. And the people who rejected him were characterized by that sort of pride. So as we come forward for prayer, we're going to have a little bit of prayer time. We, we, we did this a month ago. We said we would do it again because um, we value, uh, it's very important that we, that we seek the Lord in prayer. And I would just say, uh, we're going to have people up front here. As you come forward to communion, you come and ask for prayer. And then you could, um, you could go get communion, get communion, and then ask for prayer. Um, there's nothing special about the people who are going to be up here offering to pray for you. I mean, they're special. But they don't have special powers, okay? Um, there's nothing special about this time. Um, there's nothing special about this space, certainly. <laughs> um, but there is something special about God's Word, and we've just studied it. And there's something special about the gathered church, and we're here together, gathered, and the Holy Spirit is present with us. And there's something special uh, about communion, and we're going to celebrate communion right now. And so there's something special about the prompting of the Holy Spirit, and if God is sharing with you something for you to seek prayer about. There is something special about seizing the moment and asking for prayer. So I want to invite you to come forward for prayer. First of all, we're going to introduce communion. I'm going to put up on this to help you think, what are the areas of your life where you might need prayer this morning? And then I would love to encourage you to come forward and seek prayer after Caritha opens up the communion table for us.